I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey guys, you ever wonder what Phil and I wear while we podcast? You can find out if you join our Patreon. We'll also be talking about the films of 1989, but that's definitely less important than seeing our Zoom backgrounds, our headphone choices, and our sweatshirts. It's true. It's true. You'll get to see all the various pieces of artwork that I have framed on my office wall, and you can see Kenny's garden, sort of. So that's something. That's exciting. It's a hanging garden. It's a hanging garden. Uh, But perhaps more important than anything, uh, we are doing this Patreon to cover the best films of 1989. Uh, Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2 with amazing guests like Tom Meissen, Liz Hanna, Joanna Robinson, Brian Cogman, Chuck Hayward. You can sign up at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. And for $5, you'll get access to all the audio of these fantastic episodes. For a few bucks more, you'll get video as well of our 99 and 89 episodes. And perhaps, most importantly, you'll be supporting us uh, so we can just keep making podcast content for you guys. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from the set of Double Bind here in 2021. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Phil Iscove. And with us today is uh, the writer and executive producer of Harley Quinn. How about that? Patrick Schumacher. Nice to have you. Thanks for having me, guys. Glad to be here. Yeah, we're real glad to oh, have we're thrilled, you. We're thrilled. We're thrilled. Felt real, felt real good saying that one. <laughs> <laughs> a lot, of, 
<laughs> it's better than it's. It's. I don't even want to say. Yeah, so I was gonna say you're gonna throw someone under the bus. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's it's better. It's it's better than um than my wife who we've had. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I guess you're you're. It's safe. She's not gonna listen to this one. I'm so. banking on her on her passing <laughs> on, on perfect blue. blue. Um, but she she may not. You never. He's very. You, you want to know. know. You want to know what. You want to know what? Uh, her favorite movie is Parasite, and her favorite movie of the year is Minari. So she does have a thing for Asian and Asian-inspired cinema, um, yeah. which is a perfect segue into Perfect Blue. Indeed. Um, Indeed. How uh, how you doing, Patrick? And uh, why did you pick this uh, wild um, movie uh, to, to join us with on the podcast? Well, first off, I'm doing great. Good. <laughs> Thank you for asking. And, and, and uh, by the way, yeah. I respect that you said that because I'm so tired of the uh, the performative misery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. See, like for some reason, I think right now, as things actually seem to be getting better, people still feel the need to ask how you, answer how you're doing with, well, horrible. There's a pandemic and my sure. life is small. No, no, no. If you're doing great, you're doing great. I think people want yeah. to hear that. Yeah. Even in non-pandemic times, like judging by that, I'm doing pretty great. Good. So, yeah, everything's, go. everything's coming up. Patrick Schumacher right now. <laughs> Uh, why did I pick perfect blue well you sent me a list and I'll be honest uh, it was a lot of leftovers (laughs) (laughs) Uh, welcome to podcast like it's 1999 welcome to year four (laughs) right this is definitely a season four year four kind of movie Uh, this is a deep cut I also liked that it was an animated film because mm-hmm. that's kind of what I've been immersed in, the world in which I've been immersed <laughs> the last, uh, you know, like three years, four years even, um, with Harley Quinn. Um, and so, uh, yeah, and, it's, and it's, it's one that I saw, like, all the way back in, like, 99, yep. uh, when, when it originally came out. And uh, it stuck with me. It's, uh, we'll get into the gory details, but, yeah, uh, yeah it's just a fantastic film from... A guy who, uh, Satoshi Khan, who is unfortunately no longer with mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, his body of work is, uh, is, is small, but uh, extremely influential. Uh, it was a, so, so last year, uh, there's a, the, this award show called the Annie Awards, which mm-hmm. uh, Harley, Harley Quinn was nominated for one of them last year. And I got to go. This was the, an in-person thing. And they, they hold it over at UCLA. And, and Satoshi Khan got the Windsor McKay Award, which is oh, like the cool. Cecil B. DeMille, you know, like the Lifetime Achievement or like if you, you know, contributed a certain, uh, you know, outstanding body of work that kind of, mm-hmm. I don't know moved the 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 medium forward mm-hmm. um i don't i don't really know anything about the wins of the career <laughs> no you nailed it there's well, no question you, know, it's, it's you miss me if there you it's go real. it's not if it's not that yeah then what is it i mean of course <laughs> yeah. that's what it's that's what the award's for yeah. but it's for like animation legends right like like the same yeah. year like sure. henry henry Selleck got it and oh, cool. uh, uh musker and clements the the guys sure. who directed yeah, the yeah. Latin, little mermaid yeah. basically they give this award out to anyone Mm-hmm. No, but they give they give this award out like to multiple people. Uh, it's a very long ceremony, even longer than the Oscars, if you can believe it. Really? Um, but Satoshi Khan got it posthumously, and uh, it and, and just watching the the real like reminded me of that his body of work, uh, you know, albeit like like four four films or whatever it is, four or five films, hugely influential. So here we are. Can I ask? Um, 
I know that you've, you know, you are currently immersed in the world of animation. Are you, do you know anime? Like, is anime a big influence on you? Do you, do you find yourself like, I, I am, whenever I watch an anime film, I find them just absolutely like mind blowing. And I think to mm-hmm. myself, I need to watch more of this stuff. And yeah. then unfortunately I don't because there's a million things to watch. Um, but this film, and I, you can see its influence, but I'm just wondering how sort of anime influenced your work on, uh, on Harley Quinn. Oh, uh, the actual work on Harley Quinn, I would say pretty minimally because I, I would say of, of all of the, the staff, like, sure, sure, sure. I might know it the best, maybe me or mm-hmm. one other person, my, my producing writing partner, Justin, he's maybe seen Akira, like maybe. <laughs> sure, sure. sure. Uh, maybe uh, some Miyazaki, no? He's, you know what, I turned him on to Miyazaki and he showed his kids Kiki's Delivery Service the and, best. He's like, and Ponyo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, my kids love Ponyo. So uh, he, he's, he's familiar. Okay. He's familiar. Okay. But uh, no, like when I was a kid, you know, you remember Suncoast video, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that was like the only place you could go to get like ridiculously overpriced VHS copies of like <laughs> yes. Pat Labor or like Dominion Tank Police. And I was just buying them for the covers as I still do for like, like CDs and shit. I'm like, oh, this is gorgeous. I don't care what the music sounds like. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's how you're supposed to buy albums. Yeah, yeah. Judge it by its cover. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, so, so, anyways, I, that, that was kind of how I became uh, indoctrinated into anime uh, initially. But I kind of fell off over the years, and and now I and now I'm more into like the you know this the classics like your sure. your Akira's sure. and, and whatnot. Sure. So, but cr- but critically, mm-hmm. uh, you do know what you're talking about because Phil and I don't. <laughs> and this podcast will fall apart, like like it'll it will just come apart at the seams if yeah. Phil and I just just go back and forth saying you know it's a lot like Black Swan. Hey, remember Black Swan? Sure, sure. So it is a lot like Black Swan. It what, is. what do you what do you know about uh, Perfect Blue and and Satoshi Kon and is it it's Cone right Satoshi Kon? Um, at least in the one YouTube video I watched uh, about it, they pronounced the cone. That's, uh, that's and, possible. And um, and <laughs> they got uh, it wrong at the Annie's. Maybe, like Mr. Meatball or whatever his name is, who put this together, got it wrong too. I'm not sure. It's but, that's possible. But Phil, did you watch the video? It was pretty good. It, I didn't watch the video, but uh, I, I know what you're talking well, about. Um, but but you you do understand its place in anime history, and and I think the one thing that that struck me watching it aside from all the uh, you know the visuals and the story and all that stuff we're going to get into is um if you're an american or a canadian if you're a, a person working in north american film and television and you want to tell stories like this it's nearly impossible um to find someone who will who will buy adult animation and then allow you to have these kind of themes and these kind of visuals yeah. um and i think now maybe I'm showing now you know kind of kind of what's the, what's the service called crispy roll or or yeah, yeah, oh, crunchy, crunchy, roll. Roll. crunchy roll crunchy roll so country roll crunchy roll notwithstanding yep uh, I think you are kind of the closest in this country to having a a mainstream animated show with adult themes and you still are a comedy yes. you know you 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 still are kind of comedy forward so uh, that annoyed the shit out of me as a writer, sure. particularly one who's out with an animated adult animated show right now. But <laughs> annoyed the shit out of me as a writer because because it 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 feels like a door that we have not opened in this country. 
And and uh, the I only guy who tried it was was Ralph Bashke, I believe is how you say his name, back mm-hmm. in the 80s. The guy who did heavy metal and he tried to do Cool World, which obviously, you know, in the shadow of Roger Rabbit was a pretty colossal failure. Yeah, um, Lord, of, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, exactly. So, like, yeah. he's the only guy who tried and he tried at a time when it might it have been easier? I'm not even really sure. I mean, obviously, you know more about this than, than I do. But, you'd you know, you, is that the only other guy that comes to mind? You'd think with 400 shows or 800 yeah. shows in a good year, yeah. people would take this kind of chance more often. I, I Yeah, no. I think it's going to happen now just by virtue of the whole pandemic. It's driven people to animation because right. you, can do, you can do it remotely, right? So I think we're going to see kind of a glut uh, like next year or in two years – because it does take a while to do um, to, to actually produce uh, scripted animation um, or non-scripted documentary animation is very hard. Uh, but yeah. you know, uh, it, it takes a really it's long rot- time. Rotoscope the whole thing. Oh yeah. Yep. yep. Um, but you're going to see, see more of it. I mean, in our case, we right. just got lucky because um, we, we had Warner brothers television. Um, different person was running it at the time, uh, Susan Rovner, who's now over at NBC Universal. And she, she called us up, Justin Halpern and myself, and was like, hey, are you guys interested in doing an R-rated uh, animated Harley Quinn thing? At the time with Mario Robbie attached to it. And we were like, well, yeah, I mean, she just come off of, um, yeah, yeah, we were like, absolutely sure. not. Hung up on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, she spit in our face with this offer. Yeah. Human uh, anchor? Come on. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. So and again, she was just coming off of like the success of of Suicide Squad, and she was kind of like the breakout character in it. And then I think also with Deadpool kind of being in the zeitgeist, they were like experimenting with like you know doing R-rated comedies and yeah. and R R-rated animated stuff uh, because Deadpool at the time also was like in development at FX. Um, or it was just about to be, I think, like right yeah. before we, uh, that Donald Glover was involved with. Right. I, I think got, that, that apart. script kind of went around. Yeah. I, I yeah. feel like I read it. Yeah. Yeah. And we thought like, we got put on hold, actually. This is 2016. This is how long oh, it wow. takes this stuff. It was 2016 when they originally asked us to do it. Long story short, we had to shelve it for a year because they asked us to run this show Powerless for NBC, which was also set in DC Universe. Anyway, so I remember so had, powerless. Yeah, so we had to we had to shut. And that's you know, and, and so like Ron Funches and Alan Tudyk, who are voices on Harley, were are were actors in uh, series regulars in, in Powerless. But anyways, we had to shelve it, and then Deadpool was it became a thing, and we were like, oh my god, like Deadpool is going to beat us to the punch. It's going to be terrible, and then everybody's going to think we copied it because we've been there before. We had a show on the air called Surviving Jack that everybody thought ripped off the Goldbergs, even though we we like. Did our pilots sure. at the exact same time, but whatever. Right, right, Goldbergs right. were the fall show. We were in mid-season. <laughs> whatever. You're not bitter. You're not bitter very different. <laughs> this is for the Patreon, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so, anyways, uh, yeah. What, and, then, and then Deadpool like just completely dissolved. So we did a very right. happy dance uh, at the time, and then uh, got to poke fun of that a little bit in our in our promos that aired uh, in like 2019, but. At, New York Comic Con or whatever, um, and uh, yeah, so it, it re- like it legitimately just like fell in our lap. So it wasn't something that we were like pursuing at all because, especially Warner Brothers, like they they are very sort of it's two different fiefdoms: Warner Brothers right. Television, Warner Brothers Animation, and only now are they starting to kind of 
intertwine a little bit. And uh, HBO Max, of course, that its existence is has sort of paved the way for more adult animated stuff. So we're we're taking on another pitch as well. That's, I mean, I hope that you guys are at the tip of the spear because to Kenny's point, it does feel like it's really, you know, it's rich terrain. And I, I don't know why it's it's taken as long as it has. And, you know, watching this film, which actually came out in 97 in right. overseas. Yeah. So it takes, you know, the better part of a year and a half to two years to get here. And and quite frankly, I mean, we'll, I'll give a little bit of context in a second, but like doesn't exactly set the world on fire over here. Doesn't make a ton of money. Um, it, it's it. It, it obviously has a big following now. It is it is a staple of of sort of anime when you talk about that genre of of films that sort of the cream of the crop. This is definitely of that of that tier. Um, but it's it's taken years and years for it to sort of build that kind of acclaim. Um, so it is kind of interesting that it's taken as long as it has for us to get at least a couple television shows. Thankfully, your show being your your show also has the freedom of being baked with inside a a well-known group of characters too, to some degree, yeah. right? So yeah. You guys have a little bit of, you know, um, yeah. So th- that has to be fun too, that you get to be able to kind of play inside a sandbox that other people have preconceived notions about. I think that must be a lot of fun too. Absolutely. And, and I think this was possibly, a, I mean, partially it was a function of DC kind of <laughs> loosening the reins. Right. Right. But also right, right. I think it was because so when we when we were going to take the show out, the idea was like, oh, we're going to take it to Netflix or we're going to take it to you know Amazon or whatever. Amazon had already like preemptively like called Warner Brothers like, we'll take it. And then <laughs> this, uh, this DC Universe thing, uh, which is it, it's sort of it's doesn't exist quite in the same way. Right. That it used it's been kind of gobbled up, right? By yeah, yeah. kind of. Yeah. Like it now exists as like a comic book only thing. Cause like yeah, the unique, yeah. the unique yeah. sort of selling proposition or whatever of DC universe was that it, it's got like a bunch of like DC library uh, TV shows, movies and whatnot, but it also has all of these digital it's comics. Like everything ever, right? Everything yeah. And it's like everything that's like a year prior to its release and, and before. Right. Oh, so wow. it has like, it has like 30,000 comics or whatever on it, which is, it was pretty cool and set it apart from other services. But because it was this like this fledgling uh, thing that they were doing, they were like, well, we'll, we'll pick you guys up for essentially two seasons of uh, 26 episodes. And we were like, okay, well, yeah, then we'll pitch you guys like two discrete um, uh, seasons of 13. And when I say two discrete seasons of 13, I mean, we're going to pitch you one season and then we're going to say <laughs> that there is another one that we we're thinking about. Sure. Um, <laughs> Okay. You'll sell it to us though. <laughs> is Harley in it? Yep. She's still in it. Oh, great. 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 We'll take it. We'll do it. Uh, oh my God. But who because put of that, Kite Man in it. Who is the genius who put Kite Man in it? Well, uh, I, I, it was like credit to the Come staff. On. You know, we were looking that for. guy's dope. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I give most credit to Tom King, who was writing Batman at the time and kind of mm-hmm. revitalized Kite Man and gave him like an actual like really dark backstory where he had this like he had a son who who uh, he caught essentially like like uh, saying hell yeah he he chastised him for cursing right mm-hmm. his son and that was his son's that was his last interaction with his son before the Joker killed him and his son <laughs> uh-huh. so like hell yeah is like a it's a tribute to his dead son. <laughs> so it's fucking dark. And, and uh, 
And we put that in the show yeah. and we actually had a, we had a nod to it where, I mean, Kite Man started out, he was like a complete douchebag and he was trying to screw Ivy yep. and like no. totally exploited his dead son to try and, and you know, exploit <laughs> her sympathies. And then, so we had that in there and then we were like, Oh God, no, he, uh, we can, we cannot absolutely cannot keep this. Uh, and then people are really was, precious about Kite Man. You know, you know what, you know what the, the Kite Man stands after you. Yeah, well, oh, just yeah. yeah, just today somebody tweeted at me they're like, "Hey man, like you're gonna explain in season three how he's processed <laughs> this and he's moved on." Because for those who haven't seen the show, spoilers: uh, Kite Man and Poison Ivy are an item for for quite a bit, and then uh, she falls for Harley, and 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 that becomes her sort of you know forever person, uh, uh, and and Harl Ivy becomes a thing which you know many fans rejoiced about. But then we did have a small fraction who were like, oh, fuck that shit. Like, Kite Man. What about Kite Man? He did nothing wrong. Nothing. I mean, anyone who can't see the chemistry between Ivy and Harley is just not paying attention. Perhaps. I don't know. Team Kite Man. Team Kite Man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But it's like, I mean, we are keeping him in the show. uh, uh, And he's moved on. We were like, we're not going to make him like, like people were like, oh, like he's going to be like a super villain now. And we're like, no, no, we've already done like the incel thing with like Dr. Psycho. So Kai Man is like very zen about it. And he's found somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, do you guys, do you have any idea when uh, we might be seeing a season three? Yeah, I think early 2022. Oh, we've, written, we've written all 10 episodes for HBO Max. So that's the, yeah, after DC Universe show migrated over to HBO Max. Mm-hmm. That's where you can see the first two seasons now. Season three will be on there. Um, but yeah, like I was saying before, like they let us get away with all this shit because yeah. like DC Universe was like, it was like the Wild West. They're like, we don't have like a BS and P or broadcast standards and practices. Yep. Uh, so they're yeah like if dc was cool with it we literally had to like there was one thing like all year that we they they were like yeah no take it out it made it all the way to the mix and i got a call like while we're in the mix they're like you can't have the gingerbread man talking about sucking dick under a bridge and i was like but it's the gingerbread man it's not like aquaman yeah seriously who cares but they were like now we can't (laughs) yeah I mean, they, they did, you know, they policed some things about like, oh, this, you're making Aquaman too much of like a bro or whatever, like a doofus. So then we made him into this kind of like princely, you know, like a Disney prince, which they were like fine with for some reason. I think that he comes off even yeah, more place, of a doofus. Though. Oh, yeah, that place. <laughs> so but, I, but, yeah. I want to, I, I just want to quickly, because there's a part of me that's like, you guys have worked in live action, you've worked in animation. And, and animation gives you obviously a freedom that you don't have yeah. in live action. I bring that up because this film was originally supposed to be live action. True. Perfect Blue was yeah. supposed to be live action. I, that doesn't seem tenable to me. Like it, it does, I guess. Like there's a world where I guess somebody does that. Black but, Swan. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I mean, Black Swan wasn't nearly, oh, the, the, I mean, this, this, this is, this is been, explicit. This easily could have been like uh, live action. I think. Um, and I, I really, I think that's, yeah. Okay. I, I mean, I don't, but I think that's the point I'm making. Okay. Which is when you have a story like this, you know, a dark psychological thriller um you are forced to do it live action right and you know there there would have been a certain i i actually can't think of any shots in this entire film that wouldn't be kind of easily translatable to live action but there is an artistry to this film that um you would lose now you may you may replace it 
right? If there may be something else in this place, we've certainly seen a lot of movies all the, over the yeah, there's a, lives. There's a Paul Verhoeven rest. version of this, for right. sure. Yeah, 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 yeah for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah you're you right. Know, I mean, I'm thinking just maybe because I'm I'm lame and, and un, you know, uncreative, but like this is what Dark City looks like to me, right? Like, interesting. They, you know, bathed in blues yeah. and, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the you know, kind of Resting imagery yeah. Yeah, and yeah, the dream yeah. world logic and all that stuff. Like, I think this is, and, and we even, you know, we even kind of saw a bad version of this with 13th floor. 13th floor, yeah. Right? Like, the, mm-hmm. the 13th floor, not the worst movie I've ever seen, but 13th floor plays with a lot of like similar kind of doppelgangers. Doppelgangers, exactly. You know, reality and, and losing, you know, kind of losing mm-hmm. your sense of self. Now, it's apropos of nothing at 13th floor, whereas it's, you know, the entire <laughs> yeah. movie here. Yeah. But I, I do think it's live action a bull. And, you know, I tend to, and we've, I've said this a lot on the podcast, I like guardrails. I like rules. I like limitations. It always seems to help me. But I also like freedom of expression. And I like, you know, creators to have the ability to do whatever they want in any medium. And as I said at the beginning of this podcast, it upsets me that, you know, you guys are obviously pushing the medium forward. So I look forward to your award at the Andes in 20 years. <laughs> Hopefully you're still alive. But what okay. I, uh, who knows? Satoshi died at 46. Who knows? But, uh, <laughs> and, and, and pollution wasn't nearly as bad then as it is now. But um, <laughs> of course I'll be alive in 20 years, dude. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> 10 years ago, pollution was nothing. Yeah. Anyway, especially in Japan. <laughs> um, but <laughs> they just have to watch out for that pollution monster every once this in a while. It's true. It's true. But uh, or the radiation monster. But I forgot the point I make. The point I make is you guys you were, are doing talk, you were talking time. about them pushing yeah. the medium. And, are. And, 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 and all I want is a world where you don't have to have jokes to get this stuff made. Like that's like that's right, what I'm, right, I'm, right, that's right. what I'm begging for is a world where you don't have to have jokes that's fair. in order to talk about this stuff. Like there is not a funny moment in Perfect Blue, or at least not a moment that is not no the opposite of black death, dark humor. Yeah, it's yeah. I, mean, I don't. I can't. Yeah. Even the end, which feels kind of like like the very, very last line, feels kind of winky, but also in a really haunting way that that almost, yeah, it, it's... So let me just, I'm going to give a brief stop. It felt valedictory to me. Maybe I just took the movie too seriously, but that really felt like like I won, I, I won the movie. I fixed the problem. <laughs> See, I saw it as I've lost myself completely. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Here we go. Let's talk um, about uh, pre synopsis a pop singer gives up her career to become an actress but slowly goes insane when she starts being stalked by an obsessed fan and what seems to be a ghost of her past Perfect Blue opened in the United States on August 22nd 1999 it would go on to make roughly $768,000 domestically it's got 80% on Rotten Tomatoes 89% from critics uh, just a couple quick little reviews Variety said that the film ultimately disappoints with its just middling tension and underdeveloped scenario it still holds attention by trying something different for the genre Slash Film said that the film was deeply violent, both physically and emotionally, writing that this is a film that will leave you with profound psychological scars and the feeling that you want to take a long, long shower. And the uh, San Francisco Chronicle noted that the film's ability to take the thriller, media fascination, psychological insight, and pop culture and stand them on their heads via its knowing adult view of what seems to be a young teenage paradise. Um, And then I'm just going to read a really uh, quick little bit here from... um, I think that I, I pr- 
forgive me for pronunciations in this entire episode because I'm going to fuck up a bunch of them, I'm sure. But uh, Nanabi Ganami in Livewire said that through the innovative cinematography manages to create multiple versions of Mima in the anime as Mima's doppelganger, Mima's idol persona, Mima as the actress in the series Double Bind. The personality of Mima presented through the blog and the real Mima, if at all, if if at all she exists, is lost to herself. In the ending scene of the anime, Mima says, no, I'm real. She appears to be convincing herself that she is the real Mima. We wait in anticipation for the director of Double Bind series to say cut, and it never comes. In a world where we fashion and wear plentiful identities, how does one identify their true selves? Globalization and the internet in a postmodern society made possible the ability to consume Italian pasta while listening to K-pop in an Indian restaurant. I am writing on a Japanese anime film in English for an Indian media platform. A French philosopher calls this postmodern condition. We cherry pick amongst the several cultures presented to us daily. We experience and wear numerous identities at once in a single span of time, almost like a glitch. We're constantly morphing. Um, I think that the, I mean, all of this speaks to a very sort of metatextual film that's speaking on sort of multiple levels of art and media and how we define ourselves amongst all of that. And then obviously takes it one step farther by really sort of immersing you in an actor who doesn't really understand her persona versus her actual personality and what that all means. Um, It's a very, very rich, very complex movie. Um, And then on top of all of that, it's animated. (laughs) So like it's another medium in and of itself. Um, So I, 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 when I watched the film, which by the way is like 87 minutes with credits, like it's a short movie. Um, and I kind of had to sit with it for like the, basically the rest of the day. Like it really kind of, it's hitting you with so much in such a condensed time frame that it really does almost feel like a movie that you need to watch multiple times to really get everything that's going on in it. But I don't, what, what did you think? Yeah, I went right into Mortal Kombat. After <laughs> sure. Answer, so that might that's, have been a mistake. That's, or, or the right thing to do. I, I'm not sure. Talk, talk about cherry picking cultures. It's a, it's a palate cleanser. Hey. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah i did i i i definitely uh so this was like when i watched it over the weekend before this i was this was maybe like the third time that i'd seen this movie and i definitely was just like yep still don't understand any of it <laughs> so let's put on a little spine ripping it's i mean i uh, i don't know that i completely understand it either but i would also say that like i'm still not convinced that i understand every david lynch film that i've seen and i've seen them many times over the movie left me with an emotional a visceral emotional experience and there's several images and moments that are deeply haunting that probably will stay with me for the rest of my life but kenny you look like you wanted i have no idea what happened in this movie until (laughs) i went until I, I, you know, this movie is is a very well regarded movie among fans of anime and also like tourists, yes. um, like myself, like a tourist in the world of anime, right? Same here. I am a tourist. And, as well. and uh, you know, when a movie like this, uh, I watch when I watch a movie like this, and I'm left um, befuddled. I tend to go down a YouTube hole and a Google hole and really trying to figure out what people think. Like right now. I'm watching, as I said, I'm watching the first season of Twin Peaks and I have a working theory that David Lynch may have never actually had sex before. 
And I'm trying to I'm trying to find out what people think about David Lynch and the way he uses sex in his movies because I think there's this idea that his movies are kind of like sexy's not the right word but kind of wise to sex like kind of wise to the role sex plays in our in our society yeah. uh, where I think that they're so alien to anything that has to do with with, with sex and romance. Uh, that I, I, I mean, I love that about his movies, um, but I think it's different. My my takeaway from his films are, I think, are a little different from the conventional wisdom when it comes to sex. Um, I think so, there's two types of sex in a David Lynch film. It's either a angelic, beautiful experience, or it is a nightmare hellscape. Like it, there's just nothing in between those two things. But okay. I think it's always kind of a robotic. Uh, <laughs> Trying like a robotic means to an end, and I think a razor head is entirely about that end. Okay. So I like I'm you know, That's I was fair. very I'm very affected by a razor head, and I, mm-hmm. I think that a razor head was the movie where he just put it all out here. He's like, This is what I think. I'm terrified of growing up, I'm terrified of having Parenthood. a kid, I'm yeah. terrified of being a member of society, I'm terrified of like and it's so honest that I really like strongly believe like David Lynch in some sense does have it all figured out. And then he knows exactly who he is, but he has sure. no way how to, you know, comport himself like in real life. Uh, I think that him and Cronenberg either completely understand the human condition or don't understand it at all. Like, there's, I, 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 I think that Lynch would never say, I understand the human condition. I think all he would say sure. is, I have a really good sense of who I am and how yes, I fit yes, in. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I so think this film also has a very clear understanding of what it's what it's saying. I'm just not entirely convinced so, I know what that is. As I went down the the rabbit hole a little bit, um, a lot of them, you know, all right. So this movie, and I think we should get into the plot because yes. it might help. But this I movie agree. is essentially about a girl named Mima who is a pop idol in what mm-hmm. appears to be a you know a B plus J pop group, group called, right? Like called yeah. Chame. Shame. Yeah, yeah. Um, it rolls off the tongue. Um, so he's like a B, po- a B plus group. They have a following. I mean, like it's kind yes. of hilarious at their shows. Like it's a smattering of fans. They're all male. Yeah, I couldn't from- tell if that was a function of just like crowds in animation are like impossible oh, to make look great. And so sometimes, like we we run into this problem on the show all the time, where like our our, our supervising director or whatever will be like. Please, no more than six people. <laughs> oh, that's great. And I just and 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 like so you watch like uh, Cham or like the girl girl group, and it's like, yeah, are they like they're like in a like an outdoor like like amphitheater? Or like, I think they're at Sea like, Worlds. I mean, like, it's, very, it's very much yeah, like a Six Flags or like a Sea World. Yeah. And then in some shots, it looks like it's just yeah, like a smattering or just like a. Like, like, yeah, like a paltry attendance. And then in other shots, when they do that kind of like long lensy thing and it, and, and all of the, the audience is essentially just frozen because they're just a background painting, yep. essentially, mad, it looks yeah. kind of packed. Yeah. Yep. Like, and, and there, and there's flashes going off and whatnot. So I can't really tell. And maybe that's, maybe that's just a part of the artistry at work. Like you don't know what's real and what's not. It does feel know. like, it feels like the press is the only thing that, that they felt was necessary for us to really see. Mm-hmm. It feels like you, you really have like, as you said, like a bank of people with cameras or asking questions and that's, and, and, and perhaps a crowd behind them. It's, it's to, to Kenny's but point, not a lot of people there. Kind of critically, this is yes. a, 
I, be, I think she's what 19, 20, something like that. She's a young yeah, girl, more maybe. or less. And the whole crowd is men, and they all yes. seem to be like middle-aged men. Correct. It has a it has a very strong brony vibe to me. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Where like and, and and I think that there's something to that that Sure, you know, I mean, I it's weird because Phil and you, when you and I went to uh, Casey Musgraves, yes, I expected there to be a lot of young people there, right? Because I thought it was my children and grownups, <laughs> and, <laughs> and your kids wanted to leave like a half hour. Right? Well, because well, by the, the, this yeah, was cause, this cause, was one of the greatest concerts I've ever been to, by the way. Kill, because Casey curses a lot, and my daughter Layla hates <laughs> cursing. Where and my my son Rollins are twins, loves cursing. That was so the best like, part. Is like yeah. Rollins loved it. It was like I want to yeah. stay forever. And Layla was like, I hate the swearing. Why is she swearing like a sailor? I want to go home. So there are people like me and you, Phil, <laughs> who like I, I think we really do like a Casey Musgraves or a Taylor Swift for yeah, the right yeah. reason. Yeah, and there are a lot of people oh, who, yeah. and I'm I'm guessing Patrick, you deal with a lot of these people. <laughs> You don't have to, you know, call out your fans, but who like Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy for, you know, they, less than good reasons. Hot, they're they're mm, they're, they're mm. hot animated babes, right. and uh, I think that that there is some element of that. Now, basically, imagine Harley Quinn and uh, Poison Ivy were real. All right, so that's this movie, and they decided yes. to switch professions, and every aspect <laughs> of this of this professional, you know. Sojourn is being chronicled in the press, and there's also a stalker who has the best scene in the movie when he's like, I guess he's working the concert, maybe, yeah. or maybe he's part of the. I can't really tell his deal. He's a hideous. Uh, what do you What do you got, Patrick? No, I just, I was just thinking, like, yeah, I wasn't sure what he was doing there because he's got like he's got his, like, his camcorder. Yeah. yeah, and it's I don't know. What the, I guess the rules there are different than here, where you can just you could just record concerts. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess we all use our phones now to do it. Who's yeah. going to stop us? But beforehand, he's like, he's basically there with like a professional grade camera yeah. <laughs> sitting yeah. on his shoulder. And he's, he's also making- terrified because he has this half his face is covered in his long black hair. Yeah. And you don't, know eye, you don't know what's on that other half. Don't know what the other eye looks like, but his one eye is very far off yeah. to the side yeah. of his. It's, it's just very upsetting. Right. Like yeah. like the character design, for Satoshi Khan's character design, like people already like have like interesting sort of like. Yes. wide set eyes where they're, like their pupils are kind of like some, yeah, yeah some of them yeah. yeah but then this guy was like the most extreme i think it's and and his Mima is this like perfect like yes. symmetrical looking thing yes that's yeah. cupid and, doll almost and, yeah. and not to jump all the way to the end but that is the defining feature that you know that Rumi, yeah. her manager has kind of taken over this because the eyes okay. start to pr- it's exactly yes. very upsetting yeah. so so, yeah. so this um, what was it me me mania whatever yeah mr me mania mr me mania is holding her in it you know you've done that thing where you yeah. you're, you're you're holding your fingers close to your eyes and you can see oh look yeah. i can crush you he's yeah. basically he's doing holding that but her. Holding he's a big her. kids in the hall thing yeah. he's holding her like she's like a dancing doll in his hand and there you go and that's the movie in a in a nutshell is the (laughs) this idea that 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 once you are on stage or once you are you know a public figure you no longer belong to yourself you now belong to the public Mm -hmm. uh if you're not careful and i was thinking about you two actually when i was watching this movie because I haven't dealt with what you guys have dealt with. I know what Phil has dealt with as the creator of Sleepy Hollow, a, a, a show that has a you know somewhat 
ravenous fan base, online fan base. I have no question that you went, you know, from, you know, the uh, the frying pan into the fire, Patrick, when you went from, you know, not in the DC universe to in the DC universe. And how you guys have had to deal with, I'm sure, personal shit online that makes you question, like, why, why am I doing in- this? Yeah, because it, the, the, so this movie is essentially about. Well, I, I think I like laid out the beginning, and we'll get more into it. But this movie is essentially about the way when you are a public figure, you start giving over yourself to mm. the public, and then the other thing you do. And I don't know if you got here. I mean, Phil hasn't got here yet. No offense, Phil, but you might have, Patrick. Have you hired a publicist? No, 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 no. If you hire so. a publicist, or even your agent, or even your manager, start representing you to the world. That's fucking scary too, right? When I I I when, when I hear about the way I'm presented to other people as a writer, it doesn't matter what they say because in fucking half in 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 thirty seconds you can't get out what I want you to know about me, sure. right? So it's this awful shit. Like he wrote on Entourage and now he writes on a dance show. Holy that no, stop, <laughs> like, please. Don't like, define me by these two oh, crowds. Yeah, God, I know. You know, I know. That, but, but but that's it. That's who I am, and that's very scary. That to a lot of people, that's who I am. And and I think that that the the movie is about that thing that Mima is known for. Her like you know, you know her her little cupie doll dancing pop star, mm-hmm. high-voiced, not-to-be-taken-seriously public persona is stalking her. And she can never be the person uh, who she wants to be. It's funny because one person that really comes to mind is actually mm-hmm. Kaylee Cuoco, who, who went through that this last year of basically screaming at people, take me seriously. And yeah, so absolutely. Now they do. Yeah. With the flight so she was. Yeah. That's what I'm yeah. saying. It's very hard. It's very hard to go from that to, to this, but she managed to do it. Yeah, 12 I think years on Big Bang Theory. Mm-hmm. For sure. And, and I think there's also something to be said, too, for the, like, um, there, Mima having to sort of relinquish her power to a certain degree, this idea of her sort of, like, there's, to me, kind of the, the fulcrum point, the moment when she truly loses herself is when she allows herself to be raped on film essentially because she feels like this is the only way to change the way that people see her and now they see her in a, in a completely different and a more awful way um, and and just this idea of sort of having to I, I imagine, and I, I'm not an actor. I don't. I don't know this for a fact, but I do think that on a certain level, you know, now more than ever with social media and what have you, the amount you have to let people in now, in order for them to feel as though they're invested in you and in 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 your career and in these things, which is completely unhealthy, but is almost a prerequisite now with a lot of these things, a lot of it these is, projects, yeah. where like you're not in a Marvel movie if you're not willing to give yourself over to this you know, to this social media, what have you. You, you um, are required to create a character. Yeah. And you are, and, and this is what, I, this is where I think we failed people, actors and, and uh, particularly female actors. For sure. Uh, it's not let, it shouldn't be, and it's been, it, it shouldn't be, let them into your life. Let them meet your kids. Let them you, you, you yeah. know, know about your hobbies. Take them yeah. into your kitchen. and Let them see you people, cook. Let them let like, yeah. yeah. Yes. yeah. Very few people are able to, to do that for a long time without turning into Gwyneth, who I love, yeah. but, you know, yeah. a lot of people in America hate. 
Florence uh, Pugh is the only one who's done it successfully, it for, seems. For a week, right? <laughs> yeah. Watch out. Like, like for a week. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Like, yeah. Gal Gadot tries it and all, she immedially goes from, you know, beloved to, yeah. 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 So what you have to do is, is I think, <laughs> if you're a publicist or someone who is in, in, you know, in part in charge of helping these people craft their public personas, yeah. is to create a secondary character. Right. Uh, and the person you should look to is Lady Gaga. And that's right. why I have so much respect right. for Lady Gaga because Lady Gaga... Uh, is Lady Gaga in public. She's not, yeah. you know, Stephanie Germano or Germanato, um, which I think is fairly brilliant. And I think it's why mm-hmm. uh, she is able, she's been able to weather all of the shit mm-hmm. um, and be able to, you know, kind of For like sure. maintain her sanity and her artistry mm-hmm. and grow as an artist. And she never really feels affected by anything because it doesn't hurt so much if people are throwing barbs at Lady Gaga. It would hurt a lot sure. more if people were throwing barbs at her. Yeah. You know, I think the other film that I thought about as I was watching this was Audition. Have you seen the Takeshi Miike film Audition? I have Patrick? not. I know that's a big blind spot. No, please. It's it's uh, it, 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 it is it, it is it, it is it's huge. it's it's a phenomenal film. <laughs> Highly recommend you watching it. And it and it is another ninety nine film which we covered. The reason I bring it up is just because first of all, there obviously is a cultural connection between you know they're both Asian films, um, and they both sort of deal with how there's this masculinity and femininity issue that exists in that, you know, region of the world that's quite different than it is, I think, in others. But I think that this film really grapples with that idea of power dynamics and and what it means to be a woman and how you weaponize your sexuality. Um, It's, it's, it's a very powerful movie in that regard, because I do feel like when she crosses that Rubicon, when Mima allows herself to be sort of used in that way, um, it. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It is the moment that it feels like she snaps. Like it is the Absolutely, moment when yeah. it feels like it all kind of gets away from her. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if you uh, wanted to speak to that. but No, absolutely. I mean, it's the moment where, I mean, it's, it's, it's literally her losing her innocence because the way that she, you know, so she is this pop idol. She's in yep. Sham, this, this girl group. And then she announces to everybody that, you know, she is in fact leaving to pursue this acting career. You know, yep. people have sort of mixed uh, feelings about her fan base. And yep. then she, at the sort of behest of her uh, her manager or agent, Mr. Tadakoro, I think. I believe that's uh, the same, yeah. Ends up taking this this gig uh, where she is she agrees 
to be raped on on camera for this for the show and 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 even the way in which she accepts it it, at that moment in the film she still has this like innocent sort of um you know childlike uh acceptance of this thing like she has no idea what she's about to get into um and so yeah absolutely that that is where she starts to break like you were saying it also, just to rewind just a little bit, because it feels like it speaks to what we're, just in terms of story, um, there's, a, there's a moment when she gets a fan letter, and Mima descri- discovers a website called Mima's Room, which contains public diary entries written from her perspective, and which accurately discuss her daily life and thoughts in intimate and exacting detail. This is 1997, mind you, right? Yeah, it's like um, GeoCities. It's so crazy. Yeah, she didn't even know what a URL was. Oh, right. Yeah. She, she the, didn't know any the, of it. That's, that's the funniest part of the movie. It feels yeah. like this like, curiosity. Just, like, <laughs> Towards the internet. the internet. Yeah. But now it's like basically this is a, a fans only thing, right? Like, is that not essentially what no, to no, some no, no, degree? No. It, this it is, is like, it, no, because fans only is from, is, is, um, it's authorized. This is right. Some, I'm sorry. Yes, but I some I, other yes. shit. This is sure. like fan fiction, right? But I just mean in the sense that like it's amazing how technologically ahead of where we are this movie was is what I'm getting at. Like this this Mima's room thing feels kind of, and I agree with you. It's not authorized. It's a stalker. I'm not obviously condoning any of that. But just the fact that we are now curating through our social media this perspective into, you know, Florence Pugh is putting a camera and saying, like, this is me cooking. Like, we're giving people this perspective on our lives, which I think we all agree is pretty toxic. I, I, think, the close, I think the close analog is that she's been hacked, right? Right, she's yes. She's been yes, hacked, yes. and her identity has been stolen to some extent. Yeah. And there isn't a, um, there isn't a, a system Mm-hmm. to or an infrastructure to deal with that like the beginning of twitter like when i impersonated rob schneider and stole his identity and fake <laughs> and, you know, uh i i hacked his life and he you know and, and made it look like he hated grown-ups yeah. too when yeah. in fact he was indifferent or probably even liked it because he's such a bootlicker but um <laughs> but that's what happened to poor mima Right? That's true. You know, it's it's just like that. What's interesting, I was thinking about as you were talking, is this is not that dissimilar from the Harley Quinn story. Right? right? The Harley right. Quinn is, frankly, abused, yeah. probably raped. Yeah. and Or I don't know if that is... Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm just speculating. I don't know if that's in text, but I, I think it's, it's alluded is, to. Canon, uh, and is actively trying in your show to... To change, she's a public figure and trying to change her persona from bad to good, right? Yeah, well, I mean, in, in, in ours initially, it's um, she's trying to change her persona from sidekick to right, super right. villain, right? Sure, yeah, or girlfriend I mean, to yeah, like that idea of being a yeah. Joker's girlfriend. Yeah, it, I mean, it is the it's it was part of the sort of Harley zeitgeist that then like the birds of prey. I mean, it's in the title, right? right? The yes, 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 of Harley Quinn. We were all trying to do sort of, you know, the same, like a different take on that kind of theme right. of this emancipation thing. Um, yeah, that, that totally makes sense. I'm, I'm currently stuck on you being Rob Schneider's Mr. <laughs> me, me Mania. If you, uh, if you listen to our episode with uh, the uh, totally Juice, happily. Juice Bigelow? No, no. no. We've done that yet? We did. We guessed it, it on an Adam Sandler podcast about grownups. It's called <laughs> Totally Happily Madison about grownups. And and the thing is, like I It goes I, up like well, whenever doesn't matter. Whenever. But the thing about, about Deuce Bigelow is it was one of the movies I was least excited to revisit because I really hated it when I saw it as a young <laughs> Great person. episode though. 
It, you know what? I gave it a slightly negative review, <laughs> but I think it's kind of a good movie. <laughs> I, think I, the fir- I, I enjoyed the first one. I think it's kind of a good movie. And as you know, I... Oh, he's, coming. He's, got, he's, got, he's got things to show you. Keep going, keep going. Um, here's what... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this will be great. We, we leave, we'll leave it in. We'll double it. Um, so I... Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, oh, my goodness. Our, our guest on the podcast, Michaela uh, Dietz, mm-hmm. went and got this for me. She she met him at... She's a voice actor. She met him at a yeah. uh, convention, and she got it signed to oh, a my gigolo from Rob. So I have yeah. nothing but love for Rob Schneider. Oh, my um, goodness. I so one of the things that so Mima gets this job on Double Bind and she only has one line and her line is "Excuse me, who are you?" Mm-hmm. Which I mean I, I didn't, is perfect. Did she say excuse me? I thought she was just. Who I are believe you? it's. I believe it's. Excuse me, who are you? Um, and so she only has, <laughs> which is it's obviously amazing and speaks to the duality and the and, you know the identity crisis that she's uh, and her politeness in, and her politeness. <laughs> Um, and then she sees this. So she does yeah. her one line, uh, and then she's walking. That, that home. is that is so film school, right? Like that's like excuse like, me, who are you? Like, yeah, who are you? It's identity. It's who, I mean, yeah, like, this yeah, is, yeah. It's, it's so film school one hundred and one. But that, it's but, great. But it's great. It that's, works. You know, yeah. Another theme. You just lay it out there. It's yeah. worth it. To, yeah, it's worth it to go straight. So then on her on her way home, she sees herself in a bank of TV screens in the window of an electronics store, which again, which also. Speaks to Kenny's point of very film school, yeah, but totally movie. works, right? This idea of her seeing multiple versions of herself yeah. and what does it all mean? Um, and then basically the producers, her, she has like five seconds of screen time. So her agent is able to finagle her a bigger role on the show, but she has to be raped in a strip club. Um, <laughs> in, the, in the show. In the show. I know, like, yeah. This is a this is a, a universal global problem. America's not the problem. Um, you know, I tired, tired but, of everyone shitting on America. The Japanese do it too, sure. But Rumi is very distressed about this. Doesn't want her to do this. Says that she shouldn't have to do this. Yeah, and Rumi, me, who is who is an ex uh, pop idol, pop idol herself. Right? Correct. Yes. Correct. Um, and her manager, I guess, is what we're led to believe. Sort of she's a manager like, she, like, works for. Right. Mr. Tadakoro, I think, but she's oh, okay. part of her management team, basically. Okay. She's like her handler. She's like the yeah, yeah the yeah. day-to-day. I this was a real and then Mima obviously says, sure, I'll do it. And and there's sort of this moment where you can tell that she feels like she doesn't have a choice, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's this way or this isn't gonna happen. Um, which is obviously awful and and I can only unfortunately assume is the way a lot of women feel in this industry that they have no choice but to weaponize their sexuality in some way or another in order to get people to take notice or in order to get roles in films or whatever the case might be it's awful um but it feels like Mima feels as though she has no choice but to do that um and obviously it's awful that the sequence is is horrific um on multiple levels uh she's obviously traumatized by it halfway through the scene they stop because they have to like change the lighting and what have you and change the angle and the actor who's raping her says i'm sorry in the middle of it like i'm sorry that this is happening and she's like it's okay like she just she's just bubbly and just like everything's fine everything's fine which feels like a defense mechanism obviously and 
she's sort of pushing her way through this whole sequence. Well, and just um, the way that they shoot it too, yes. like from her, her perspective, especially where she, it's just like during those sort of moments of silence, she's just like staring up into the lights, like, like anything to sort of just drown out yeah. what is, what is really happening. Yeah. Whatever it's in her POV, literal POV, where you're just seeing the lights or you're seeing faces or you're seeing sort of this, it's, it's, it's a nightmarish kind of, you know, staccato images of things that are going on around her. It's very nasty. It's a very yeah. nasty kind yeah. of scene and a nasty idea um, of almost like, uh, like, um, like initiation, you know, yeah. like yeah. some kind of initiation uh, into a gang almost that only yeah. happens to women. Yeah. Um, yep. But it also kind of, you know, 25 years ago when this movie was made, it wasn't something a lot of people, certainly a lot of men would discuss that a man uh, is responsible for this, just like a man right. was responsible for Black Swan. But it is, it, it's very interesting to me that a man is commenting on the misogyny and mistreatment of women in, I, was, I would assume, Japanese television film in that, in that culture. Uh, and also telling, you know, also has the, you know, kind of privilege and position to tell the story of a young woman who is being mistreated by the culture. And I, um, I, it's, it's, it's interesting on several levels. You know what I mean? Like that, that is interesting on several levels because there is a, there's a paternalism to the whole thing. For sure. You know, if you, if you think about, about it, there's a paternalism to the whole thing and it's, it's, the whole thing is very upsetting. Like I actually am, am oh, I, I, for whatever reason, I am least affected by the fact that there is a simulated rape on camera. Like the stuff that's happening there does feel like that's not the point of it, right? Because she's not actually being raped. It's it's more that kind of what you were saying, Phil. It's more that this is your indoctrination. This is how you have to like, this is what you have to go through, what you, what the position you have to put yourself in. And um, that, that, that I do find really upsetting. It reminds me of like, it reminds me of so many, so many actresses that we've seen who have done this successfully, mm -hmm. like Halle Berry, which transformed her career or unsuccessfully like Meg Ryan, which kind of killed her career and in the cut. Where you've had actresses who known for one particular thing, and then someone got it into their head, or maybe they got it into their own head, that uh, this kind of scene is really what people want or need to take them seriously, which never has happened for men. With maybe nope. I can't think of an example where getting raped or getting you know abused on screen like that has transformed an actor from a comedic actor or a sitcom actor to someone who is now taken seriously. So. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, you know, this, this film is a real indictment of, of Hollywood to some degree or another. It's an indictment of, of the music industry, I guess, maybe a little bit. Um, it's, it's, you know, uh, it, it, it's interesting to see how on her way home, she sees a reflection of herself in her formal, idol outfit like when she was a pop idol um and she says to a reflection of course i didn't want to do it um and then she and then she sees that all her fish are dead <laughs> like it's just her fish in her apartment are all dead like just to really just really twist the knife here that like this and and, and she breaks down um and it's really at this point that kind of 
her paranoia about being stalked, her obsession with her Mima's room thing, her psychosis, it really all kind of starts to shatter into a million pieces. And she starts to really, um, she starts to have visions of herself. Like it does feel like she kind of really unravels psychologically at this point. Um, and there's this, this great shot of her. Um, it's this high shot of her when she's in the bathtub. Uh, yeah, and she's holding her breath, and she's sort of like her. She's face down in the bathroom. Not sexy mm-hmm. at all, but naked. Not it's sexy, very, but very naked. sad. Yeah. yeah, and just uh, and just the angle of it, and the 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 fetal position of it, mm-hmm. just very sort of. Um, it's a really powerful. There's a lot of powerful imagery in this. I mean, this is the thing about animation that that I think is worth highlighting for a second, which is, um, and I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, Patrick, but the, the detail that goes into an individual frame of animation is yeah. is really something. Um, and you know, I often think about you. You can buy old cells of like animation cells, and you can just see that the the exquisite amount of hand-drawn detail that goes into each of those frames um so yeah did you did you find yourself i mean i was really taken with the the animation this but yeah absolutely i mean and and, and having experienced it now like a couple of years of sure. doing this i can I, i'm starting to be able to see like oh that, you know that one that one's well done and that one that's where they sure. like maybe you know, cut the budget a little bit. Uh, and it happens in this film, which is, you know, a holistically, a, a, you know, a, a gorgeous looking film. Um, but I mean, that is like, it's what you're saying. Like, like you can be so precise. You can be so like animators, I think just are inherently kind of OCD. Sure. Um, it be, they have that, that ultimate control uh, and you, you are able to be so kind of pedantic about things uh, and 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 I think that's one of the beautiful things about this movie, and and maybe a reason for it to be an animated film is that uh, you know because of the manipulation of reality, because of like the blurred lines between all of these different um, you know facets of Mima's life, uh, that they are still able to make it look kind of like of a holistic piece, even though she is fractured like that. Um, yeah, so, yeah. I, I I was really impressed with just the, the character design and also just the the execution of it. I mean, like, and because Harley is still like Harley is literally like the, all the 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 in betweens is what they call like the you know like you have your keyframes and then you have your like tweeners, which are like the artists who are 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 getting a character from A to B. All those are done in Korea by uh people <laughs> like like in pencil and pencils right, like right, it, is, right. it is like and and that's that's another reason why when you get into like the crowd stuff it's mm-hmm. like that person's being paid the exact same amount to do a close-up of a character smiling than they are a crowd of 100 people <laughs> so that's yeah. why they're like don't yeah. do a crowd of 100 people do six you know, it's 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 interesting because I feel like at this point you, you were talking about the idea of what you can do in animation and what you can do in in reality, right? And I think that um, you know Mima's mental state at this point is really folding in on itself. It's all she's all it's all starting to feel like what is real, what is the what is the television show, what, what is real violence, or what did I dream? Um, 
and and this is sort of I think a good point to talk about Black Swan just for a second because it does is it's worth noting because this has been brought up before that the, uh, there are many parallels between this film and Black Swan. Um, he acknowledged, uh, and by he I mean Darren Aronofsky acknowledged the similarities in a 2010 interview, but he denied that Black Swan was directly influenced by Perfect Blue. Although on a Requiem for the Dream uh, commentary or something like that, he mentioned that he had seen. Perfect Blue. He, All that being he, said, he owns the remake rights to Perfect Blue, right? So, and he and he and he used right. and he used it to do a scene. I don't know what scene it was. I haven't seen Requiem, Requiem for a Dream in probably almost twenty years. But it's a hard movie. I don't know what scene. Yeah. yeah, it's also a movie you never want to watch again. But nope. I don't know what scene it was. But apparently, one scene was kind of a take on something from Perfect Blue. Really, oh, that's how he he did that. He, he owned the huh. remake rights specifically. So he can do the scene that way without getting, you know, in trouble. And then he made, oh, wow. and then he he made Black Swan, that. which is also, yeah. yeah. I mean, and now, yes, and, and, and made Black Swan, and he's acting. Look, I'm not, I'm not I, holding it against him. I'm just, I just wanted to highlight because no, no. it's worth I know, worth I know. Well, I, I hold it against him a little bit because he denies it. Like, right, it's, right, come right, on, right. dude. Like, yeah. it's, there's Own nothing it. wrong yeah. with being influenced. We're <laughs> yeah. all influenced. But I'm just going to read a couple of the similarities yeah. because it's worth noting. The uh, main character in this film's name is Mima. In Black Swan, her name is Nina. <laughs> um, Mima sings in a, obviously in a girl pop band. Uh, Nina dances in a ballet class in hopes of becoming bigger. Before the traumatic events, both Mima and Nina are already shown to be emotionally sensitive characters. I guess that's true. Um, both characters have psyches altered from these experiences. Both have substantial amounts of blood and violence. Uh, the main character, I, I would say, if I'm being completely honest, and these are all somewhat similar, the main thing for me is... Um, when I think about what we were just talking about in terms of when reality and fiction start to blur together and she starts to have sort of these hallucinatory moments, when Nina in Black Swan starts to see evil versions of herself, the sex scene with uh, with uh, Mila Kunis, the, mm-hmm. you know, faces changing, people's identities changing, all that kind of, like, that felt very much like when we when we hit the climax of this film and we have Rumi's identity manifested that felt very sort of like and i think that aronofsky does a phenomenal job of making sure that those moments really hit hard um in a way that they do in this film i guess this is a long way of saying that i think that in the right hands a live action version of this film could very well have worked because we saw obviously black swan worked but um that sort of blurring of reality and and those kind of things um work in Black Swan because they're done so sparingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think this film, obviously, when Rumi's identity manifests itself and there's that fight that they have in her room and her like eyes and her face starts to contort and change, and like that to me is when this film is really, really working. Yeah. Um, it, it also seems to have this sort of like um, acceleration where, with with the, yeah. you know, the, the I, I call it like, you know, when it starts getting like Inception or what, yeah, like yeah, the yeah, Russian yeah. doll thing where she's like constantly like waking yeah. up and you realize, oh, she's in the middle of a scene yeah. that she's shooting now. And then she wakes up again and it's like, oh, no, she's in her apartment with Rumi or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it starts to just get like quicker and quicker and quicker, which I guess is, you know pacing to show you just how far down the sort of rabbit hole of insanity she's she's fallen. It starts to feel like like a nesting doll, like those Russian dolls, right? Yeah, like where it yeah. starts to feel like you're inside a doll, inside a doll, inside. Like it's all starting to kind of fold in on itself. Um, I agree with you. When that ramp up starts to happen, as we head into sort of the climax of the film, when it's all starting to kind of 
collide in her head and we're sort of unsure as to like what is real and what is fiction and and that that's when the film really spoke to me i felt like that's when like that metatextuality of itself all just kind of starts to to fold in itself i think it's it's tremendous um yeah i mean basically i mean we've essentially hit a lot of the plot i I mean it gets a little bit convoluted i think and i got lost and i don't know if you guys got lost around that time of like the 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 stalker the me maybe like the second half of the second act yeah, was yeah, was yeah. a little uh a little confusing and i did kind of lose my way and it yeah. wasn't until the end that it kind of you know yeah kind of puzzle pieces kind of felt like they were coming back together yes i agree um but i do i i at least for myself i attributed mm-hmm. that to kind of a a lack of um a lack of fluency with the medium right mm-hmm. like watching and this happened to me with the with um, Mononoke as well. Like anime is not like American animation. No, you know it's just it's a it's a different thing, and it is a it it does feel like a muscle you have to build to understand what they're doing. Um, and you know I know my my kids can't get into Miyazaki. I I've tried, really? you know, but they're well, they're you know they're the most American of children. <laughs> so uh, they're, they're total they're total xenophobes. So uh, I, <laughs> uh, but um, you call them your yeah. tiny gaijin. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But uh, I think that to your to your point, Kenny, just to piggyback on it for a quick second, I think that there is um, they are, and by they I mean anime films are are speaking in a different language, and I don't mean that literally; I mean that uh, figuratively. Like there is this sort of dreamlike kind of component, and and it's it's the same with. Um, uh, uh, oh my God, Takeshi Miike's films, not Takeshi Miike, Takeshi Miike, but also um, Haruki Murakami's books. There's this dreamlike component to them where it's, it really is, and I don't want to say it's a vibe, but it's kind of a vibe where like you have to kind of um, roll with it, if that makes sense. Well, the, I mean, the, the other thing is, you know, this, Patrick, you probably uh, can speak to this, but we watched, at least I watched the subtitled version, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I don't know, Patrick, you've ever seen this dubbed. I've never seen this one dubbed. Yeah, I don't, I don't they know if they've done have it. a dubbed version. Yeah, but uh, I would have preferred a dubbed version. Um, I find dubbed anime quite charming, and so do I. Uh, and and also, you know, my attention isn't isn't divided. Mm-hmm. You know, I really right. you know, really focus on the visuals. But I think uh, a second viewing or a third viewing, when you know what's happening, mm-hmm. I think it may be more rewarding. Um, and maybe I should have gone, you know, the, the extra eighty-seven minutes and given it a shot. But that's what I was talking about, Patrick. If on the second, third, fourth viewing, whatever, uh, you do feel like you immerse yourself in a world in a way that maybe you can't in the first because of, as Director Baum said, the inch and a half barrier that is difficult for some of America, us Americans to get over. But I, I think that, you know, I, I also found myself thinking about Wong Kar Wai's movies to a certain degree and just that sort of... It's a similar again, thing. That dreamlike sort of thing where mm-hmm. it's like he's not, he's not holding your hand through a narrative per se. He's more like it's an immersion in a headspace, if that makes any sense. And you're just along for the ride. And I think that... You know, anime also, I mean, they, they play it fast and loose, right? I mean, that's, that's Miyazaki's films also do that as well. Like, there are rules, quote unquote, but like, there, it, it's, it's really just sort of, um, you're going on this journey. Um, I really believe that, like, that idea of the journey of, of just sort of is, it, it does feel very mythic. A lot of these things feel, 
you know, there's there's that kind of component to it that I just find endlessly fascinating. Um, you know, I watched. Uh, have you seen Your Name, the uh, the anime film that came out a few years ago? Yeah, it's on my list. I think it's J. tremendous. J. Abrams has the rights to maybe do it. Does, it. but yeah. you know, he's actually doing it now because uh, originally it was going to be. Uh, oh my God, Mark Webb was going to do it, okay. um, but now it's the guy that did uh, Minari. So I'm oh, wow. very excited to see if that comes to fruition. We'll see. Yeah, it does. very but, cool. But um, yeah, it's just I, I do find that the whole anime thing is 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 such a fascinating, but just beautiful and haunting. There's something so unnerving about what they can tap into, and I think this film is probably the most effective in that in that respect. I don't, I, I'm not sure how you feel about that, but um, so yeah, I mean, basically the end of the film, essentially, for all just just to wrap up the plot of it. Uh, Rumi's identity is 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 shown that she is the killer, um, that she has sort of created this persona um, that has been, for lack of a better way of putting it, driving Mima insane. Um, and uh, they have this visceral fight in her bedroom, uh, which kind of spills out into the streets. And there's this amazing shot of them diving out of the way of that truck that's barreling down the street. Um which is just a, a beautiful shot. Um, and then ultimately, uh, Rumi is put in a psychiatric hospital and the movie ends with Mima driving off, looking at herself in the rearview mirror and saying, no, I am the real thing. And then like the poppiest music you could ever imagine, just like, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, a, it's a lot. It's, it's a, I, I think it's interesting, Kenny, that your takeaway from that last shot was victory. I don't mean that in, yeah. a, in a negative. No, I know way. you don't. I know. You don't. I, I, that's what I thought. I thought. I thought it was valedictory. I really did. I thought. Um, I thought she had. Uh, she had vanquished her demons. I mean, that's 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 awesome. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I, I <laughs> truly, I don't. Uh, I mean, I, I, I think part of it for me was, um, it felt. I don't want to say that it felt necessarily as though she was completely lost, but it certainly felt winky to me in a way that's not, and I don't, again, mean that in a negative fashion, but it felt aware of itself enough that I was like, is this meant to be a happy ending? How did, how did you interpret the ending, Patrick? Um, I, was, I was probably five minutes into Mortal Kombat when I was thinking about it. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, no, like I, I literally, like, like the ending, I still am, am not quite sure uh, at all what really happened. Like was... <laughs> I was like, was so so yeah. Ruby, Ruby's the killer, but we're saying <laughs> this is such a dumb question. <laughs> like, because she 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 also created the sort of Geo Cities thing. She's right. behind all of it, and we're saying that Mister Me Mania is just he's a creep, but he's like he's just a fan. I mean, he's no still idea. a criminal. I here my interpretation of the Me Mania guy okay. is that he's a stalker. Yeah. Was he ever going to cross that line without the without Rumi pulling the shit that she did? It's hard to say, but I think that that stuff he felt he needed to quote unquote save Mima from right. all of these things that were happening. But in the process, he does cross a line because, like, it seems like he's going to rape her at one point. So, like, there is right. that whole thing. So it's yeah. like, it, it. I mean, ultimately, they're both bad people. And by that I mean Rumi and, and the and the stalker. Um, 
But the impression that I got, my takeaway anyway, is that Rumi is the puppet master. She's mm-hmm. the one who's been doing all this bad shit. And that this stalker was essentially a red herring for us to believe that he was the guy that was doing all these things. But Except they the worked together. Like, well, that's, that's the weird part. <laughs> it's not really red herring if they work together, right? She, he's, he's like a henchman. Yeah. But yeah, it's just- I agree. It's muddy. It's not, it's not clear. Right, because at, at one point it looks like he is literally going to rape her. It's a right. tone poem. It's a tone poem. It does. <laughs> it's a tone poem about just awfulness. <laughs> I think if you say something's a tone poem, that's just the end, right? Just okay, sure. It's a tone yeah. Poem. It's just it's a it's yeah. I don't. Oh, know. I mean, I, I get it. Tone poem. <laughs> turned it off. Turned it on. Mortal Kombat. <laughs> <laughs> I. I mean, listen. I. I think that. Uh, there's, there is a version of this movie that's a little bit longer that feels like it maybe explains some of these things out a little bit more or steps mm-hmm. them out. I, I, I don't know. I, I, it's I clear question. to me that... Yes, please. Oh, no, you, you keep going. I was just going to say this one last thing, which is it's clear to me that, that Rumi is the bad guy. We're, we're yeah. led to believe that, it, that, that she's the, the villain that has been, yeah. quote-unquote, vanquished at the end of the film, and the stalker just feels like, I don't know, Another bad dude, I guess. But anyway, what were you going to say? Well, no, but to, to the Rumi thing, like, what do we think are her motivations as the villain? Like, is it, is there an envy sort of thing happening? Is there a protective thing sort of happening? Because like, you know, she's, we have, we have all of these characters getting like their fucking eyes gouged out and all of these, all of these men yes. that are, that have put Mima in this compromising mm-hmm. position literally literally and figuratively and then they all end up getting like blind like their eyes right, right. fucking gouged out in elevators and whatnot. <laughs> like like Mr. Shibuya, the writer of Double Bind. Yeah, yeah, winds up like, well. That was yeah. that was super creepy. I, was great. I, I, was I admittedly great. love love that scene. Yeah. The elevator doors open up. They they're playing the cham song yeah. on yeah. the radio and then all of a sudden, you know, it's like die hard except <laughs> I, the way I the way I yeah. read the Rumi yeah. thing yes. was that it was like Winona Ryder's character in Black Swan if mm. she completely lost it and and became violent. Like yeah. so it is just a psychosis. The general that's, sort of that's psychosis, kind of so, yeah. that was the way I yeah. that's what it, it seems like. like. Okay. Got it. I, we call I mean, her the ruminator. <laughs> Can you please put her on Harley Quinn? R- Ruminator two. The Ruminator two. Yeah. The Ruminator two. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow, that's fantastic. I I mean, listen, I uh, I still think about this film twenty four hours or so later. Uh, I imagine I'll still be thinking about it for a long time to come. And and uh, I'm so glad that we got to talk about it with you, Patrick, more than anything. Me too. So, I um. I want Thank to rate this film. I don't know if you know yeah. how we do our ratings on this uh, podcast. Tell it's me, a, explain it. It's very simple <laughs> for the most part. Uh, we rate it from zero to 99. Zero is the lowest, 99 is the highest. 50% is the threshold of of recommending or not recommending. We we rate the film before the podcast and then we rate the film after the podcast to see whether or not our conversation has changed our opinions about a film one way or the other. Okay. Um, I'll go first. Uh, hmm. I had not seen this film in 99 uh, or before the other day. Uh, I'd probably get this film in 82 before the podcast coming into it. I thought it was really powerful. Uh, it really stuck with me. And this conversation has only bolstered my opinion of it. I, I have it at an 87 now. I think it's, I think it's, I mean, 
Uh, you know, Kenny and I talked about audition a few months ago. I mean, I don't even know when it was. Time is meaningless at this. At, who knows? Was was that during the pandemic? It was during the pandemic. <laughs> um, <laughs> Forever ago. It literally feels like another life. But um, you know, it's impossible. It's. <laughs> but I I felt similarly. The both these films left me in a in a similar place in terms of just um, just feeling terrible about the way we treat women in this world i think it's just it's there, there's no excuse for any of it uh and especially in the in the in this industry that we work in uh and i think that this film is an incredibly powerful indictment of all of that um and it's beautifully animated and it's uh i think it's a i think it's a tremendous film so that's where i'm at what about you kenny first off patrick you have to see audition you would, uh, I think you'd really take audition. Well. The absolutely next well. movie you watch, it is, you know what, I, it just occurred to me, Phil, yeah. that audition, I mean, it's crazy. We're doing this day after the Oscars. The Promising Young Woman won Best Original Screenplay it last did. night. And, and Audition is the movie that everybody wanted Promising Woman to be. Like, it exists. 110%. You know what I mean? Like, it exists. Even the whole thing. It just, it, it exists. I so watch totally that movie. Agree. That movie's awesome. Um, promising when you know people have their feelings. Uh, a divisive film. Uh, this movie, I gave it an 80 before this podcast. Um, and I'm going to leave it as at an 80. Uh, I don't feel like my uh, I, I, I think it's a really interesting film to talk about. I think it's a really good film. Um, I think my esteem for it will grow, yeah. If, as and if, if and as I watch it again. But uh, the on, dubbed version, the dubbed version, the dubbed version. which which as as we were podcasting, I, I checked to see it does exist. Yeah. Um, I will uh, I'll come back to you. I'll report back if I watch Perfect Blue again. But very cool film. Very happy it exists. Very upset that we don't do things like this here. I think um, there's an entire universe of cinema, but an English language cinema created by English speakers that uh, we yep. are we're missing out on, and it's pathetic. Um, go ahead, Patrick. Patrick. Patrick, what do you think? Well, before I did the podcast, I didn't rate the film because <laughs> I didn't know about the rating system. <laughs> after the film, after the podcast, rather, I'm going to give it an 89. Nice. Awesome. Which is high praise. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, yes. like, that's, like, that's like a solid A. Yeah. That's a, it's a, that's a, great, that's a great rating. Yeah, I, I read a, a quote from Satoshi Khan who, where he said, you know, a movie like Mulholland Drive is my favorite type of movie because – you, oh, yeah. you, you figured out about 80% of it and the other 20% you're probably never going to figure out again. And, uh-huh. and absolutely this falls in that category for me. Um, you know, it falls in those categories of need mortal combat as a palate cleanser. <laughs> um, <laughs> which I is also, about an 89. I also just want to say too, that, you know, I, I saw, um, uh, Oh my God. Why am I, uh, Totoro. I saw mm-hmm. on the big screen, whatever that was a year or two ago, whenever it was, um, and then I saw. I also saw your name on the big screen. This is a long way of saying that these anime films on a big screen are so breathtaking to look at. To see that that level of animation, which, as we all know, very little is not as much as hand drawn as it used to be. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of it is computer generated and what have you. Um, but to see that stuff on the big screen is absolutely exquisite and and uh, and just really really powerful stuff. But um, yeah, and Rika, his his. Last film, final I film, say, yeah, yeah. His final film was like from about 2006, I want to say. That's one absolutely worth seeing on a big screen. Talk about like fucking crowd scenes and animation and doing that right. 
Yep. It's gorgeous. gorgeous. Yeah, I the, the one that I was bummed I missed on the... I really wanted to see Spirited Away on the big screen because that movie, mm-hmm. I think, is just an absolute masterpiece on so many levels and yeah. just exquisite to look at. Um, so I next, want to say one more yeah, thing please, about please, this please, film. Yeah. That yes, I just yes, remember. yes. Yeah. Uh, I have seen parts of this before. Oh. Because Madonna, oh, right. on her tour... yes would play uh, the particularly um, racy scenes on a large screen. Mm-hmm. I saw Madonna at Madison Square Garden with my sister and parents. When? As, this was like in 2002. Okay, cool, cool. As, so with my sister and parents, this is, this, these images are happening on the screen. Um, which, you know, we didn't mention that there is like full frontal animated nudity in this that's what i'm talking about that's what madonna madonna selected to show me and my parents as we watched her perform specifically you you and your parents i believe uh can i remember that that (laughs) was the shout out that was the tour where she this one's for kenny and the night bars uh they uh that's how she speaks too because she was in the night bars yeah she was in her muscly phase where she learned how to play guitar so everything was oh oh my god Here's a naked drawn woman for you. Uh, the, the only song she did from um, the only song she did from like her catalog were Isla Bonita and like, like Holiday. You're, I'm like, great, wow. you know, whatever. Sure. But, uh, think, from the Immaculate Collection. Sure, sure. Yes, yes. They're both great songs. Hey, they're they're they wouldn't have been my choices, but at least I could sing along Fair to point. something. Everything else is new shit, like new new shit. Like this is po- this is post Ray of Light. This might have been post music. Like this is like some of the shit that like this is like you know this this is like I couldn't name a song it, of hers other than the ABBA, the one that she samples ABBA. After music, hung I up. I think don't think I oh, hung yeah. up's a good song. Hung up's a great mm-hmm. song. And she also did the song with Justin Timberlake, which is an amazing song. Like six seconds. Yep, I think it's yep, called. Yep. Yep. Um. This is all it's before. Is this this is all before Die Another Day? I think. Uh, no, Die Another wasn't Die Another Day. Oh, it was like two thousand one. I don't know. I don't know. All right. Anyway, but, but it doesn't matter. Great concert. Very weird to see with your parents. Definitely the weirdest experience. But today. it's also it's not. I don't think it should surprise any of us that she's seen Perfect Blue, and the Perfect Blue speaks to her that she no wants chance. to no show us the most jarring it. images yes, from yes. Perfect Blue. Yes. 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 Yeah, like a good double feature, like yeah. Perfect Blue, and then like the Britney Spears FX documentary. Oh, sure. so like, Who's and then Truth girl? or Dare. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Swept away. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so next week, I don't know if you've seen this film, Patrick. I don't know if you're, are you an Errol Morris fan? Have you ever seen any of Errol Morris' documentaries? I have, I, yeah, sure. The Thin uh, Blue Line. Thin Blue Line. We're doing uh, Mr. Death uh, tomorrow. I don't know if you've seen Mr. Death. But I it have is, not. It is a, it is a uh, hard to find, good flick. Though. Hard to find film, very good movie. We have Simon Ennis on, a filmmaker and a good friend of mine from back home who came on to talk about it with us. And um, it's, uh, yeah, it's all about, uh, <laughs> What would, you say, what would you say it's all about, Kenny? Uh, denying well, the Holocaust? Give, what is I, truth? <laughs> so I don't want to give away the twist, but yeah, it's all about denying the Holocaust. It's about a guy. Who, it's about a guy who basically is the uh, the the number one creator of or designer of devices in yeah. America, yeah. who then gets called upon Whoa. by uh, some Holocaust deniers. Mm-hmm. To attempt to prove that Auschwitz was not actually a place where they gassed uh, Jews. 
So and and he starts to buy that's and he starts to buy into it essentially, and it's it's it is a very well, interesting because of quote unquote science, and I put quote unquote in <laughs> yeah. there like the movie to me it, it's a brilliant, interesting documentary, and he's a really fascinating character yeah. because he's almost been given this air of expertise because nobody is in the field. Like nobody wants nobody yeah. wants to be the, the engineer who's good at killing people. So he's the best, but he's not even an engineer. Yeah. So it's like it's a really interesting, uh, really really interesting movie. Um, it's and, and, and obviously an amazing documentarian who like is is able to pick up every rock and find the most unique subjects. So. Well, that, I was just going to say. I mean, as I'm sure I know that you've seen a couple of his films, Patrick, but like. The, he, it's just he. I don't know where Errol Morris finds these people, but like, mm-hmm. not only are they just rocks, fascinating under, under, rocks. under rocks, not only are they fascinating that. people, but like their look is so fascinating. This guy mm-hmm. is so fascinating this to guy's, look at. The worst thing about him is like for the first half an hour of the movie, you're like, this guy's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, wait a second, am I on board with this guy? I didn't know anything going into it. It wasn't even a question I was on board with. I didn't know anything going into the movie. I didn't know the Holocaust and our stuff, so it wasn't twist for me. So basically, I'm like, <laughs> they, yeah. like, like, they, like he says at some point that he drinks 40 cups of coffee a day, and I'm like, oh my God, you're my hero. <laughs> 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 it's it's a great movie. It's a great episode, and uh, and check it out next week. But thank you so much, Patrick, for coming on and talking with us about this. We really appreciate it. And yeah, thank you, Kenny and Phil. Great. Yeah. Oh, awesome. please, and and just as a, as another reminder, please check out Harley Quinn. It's on HBO Max right now. It's we without a doubt the best animated show on TV. If you're right listening now. It's to fantastic. this podcast, you probably do. Um, it's because, great. You know, we have a lot of close up. Just people with great taste. It's got it's got probably one of the I mean it definitely has the best voice cast on TV right now. It's it's tremendous. It's a great show. Um yes. so best man, half man, half kite. Yeah. Maybe you got, you got a kite man. I mean it's it's the only show with a kite man on TV right now, that's for sure, yeah. I think. Right? It's great. It's it, it, it's really it's yeah. really, really great. I, I uh I spend all my I spend my the only free time I have watching Harley Quinn and Rick and Morty, so no. that's me. I'll know we've made it when Madonna's using clips from Harley yes. Quinn in her next story. Yes. Dude, she it might. could happen. I would, I would. I, I, I'm she, holding it she, She's not the pop star I think would do it, but there are several <laughs> who I think yes. would. Yeah. Yes. Like, my, like Miley's probably already done it, just didn't tell you. <laughs> I'm right. surprised Miley hasn't been on your show as a voice actor, quite frankly, if I'm being honest. But that's She's yeah. so cool. She's got a great voice. She does have a great voice. We haven't but, gone after her yet. We got some music this year in season oh. three. We got a, we got some we got some songs. Nice. We got a lot of songs. I'm excited about that. And like That's... our cast can sing too. Like Sinan Lathan is Catwoman. She can sing. <laughs> Diedrich Bader, Batman. He can sing. Okay, he, he can does. sing. He does. That's yeah. that's so cool. It's such if, a cool if you show. want to be a proper improv actor, you should be able to sing. Yeah. So there you uh, go. his great well, baritone. I would imagine a great deep baritone. Mm. <laughs> Silky. Like Let's this. get out of here. All right. Thank you so much, Patrick. All right, Patrick. Thank you, guys. One last thing. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, speaking of subscribing, check out our Patreon on all the best films of 1989. Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Fabulous Baker Boys, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, Field of Dreams, Major League, and many, many more. We are covering all the best films of 1989 with amazing guests like Joanna Robinson, Liz Hanna, Hunter Covington, Brian Cogman, David Iserson, and many, many more. All your favorite guests from our 1999 podcast are coming on to the 1989 Patreon. 
You can sign up for it at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. For only $5, you get access to all of these awesome episodes. And for a few bucks more, you get video of our 1999 episodes as well. Plus, there are other very cool tiers too, where you can even be a guest on our podcast. Also, please check out our Reddit as well at reddit.com backslash podcast like it's. We're also on Twitter at podcast like it's. We're also on Instagram at podcast like it's. Thank you to Ernie and Will for producing our episode, Sullivan for our social media, Yonkatas for our artwork and theme songs. And most of all, thank you all for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.